0: You get a table, you order your drink, you listen to the sounds of the bar, and soak in the conversation. Welcome to the t Speakeasy, with your hosts, Caleb and Eric. Listen in as your hosts discuss the 1977 film, Annie Hall. So why'd you pick this one?
1: I mean, we've already dabbled in Bergman and that's all well and good. But just because of some of our recent conversations on and off air, amongst ourselves and a little bit with Sean Woody Allen's just another one of my directors um, especially if we talk about uh, what would you call directors of before? Pre-contemporary? Like popular directors before current times?
0: Uh, I don't know what you would call that yeah, but when but when you get into that realm, um, yeah, do you mean current times like uh, before the two thousands or
1: yeah, or be- before the two thousands or before the twenty tens? Like who were you know amongst popular directors? Um, hmm. uh, Woody Allen is one of those guys that's on my list with all the other directors that you and other listeners know that I'm really into, um, like really really into. And so I wanted to get into one of those with you. We did one or two um, back on Prognosis Negative. Actually, only one, I think, on that podcast. And we did one on Best Picture. And yeah, I was like, Hmm. definitely want to talk about it. He is one of my favorite directors. Um, And when it came down to choosing, I figured it makes the most sense. Um, unless we were gonna go, unless we were planning to go through his entire body of work, then I may have chosen something pre-Annie Hall if that's what we were gonna do. But if we're just gonna, you know, just ease into it and just go wherever we go, hmm. I felt like Annie Hall is probably an easy choice for jumping off point. Even if you've seen one or two before of his movies, um, it's just a good jumping off point, I think, because it's also it almost establishes your unit of measure if you're about to delve into his body of work. In other words, um, like if you're coming up with something to measure length, uh, the meter you might be something you want to use as a unit of measure. Um, and I think Annie Hall is a good yardstick or meter stick, um, because well, I don't know. It can't be just me. Because then when you watch any other Woody Allen film afterwards, after Annie Hall, you're always you're going to go, was that better than Annie Hall? Or was it worse than it? I don't know, that's that's how I've always kind of cataloged things um, after I saw Annie Hall. Even though this wasn't the first Woody Allen movie I ever saw. It was maybe the, hmm. I don't know, the fourth or something. It's just like the one that probably all the others are compared to as either being better or worse. And it's also... By many, uh, even though it's arguable, many people consider this like the peak of his movie making, which is weird because this is barely like <laughs> like the end of like the first fifth of his career or first fourth. So it's weird to call that like his apex or zenith because that's it feels far too soon to say that. Um, because to say that everything he made after this was not as good, that's kind of a ridiculous statement as well.
0: Yeah, it's probably 40-plus movies.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's arguably considered his best movie, though, if you had to choose one.
0: Wow, that's so interesting. Hmm.
1: You could make your own individualistic argument for some other of his newer movies, but you you would never be able to convince large swaths of people um, with any of his other newer works. So, so yeah... This is the most agreeable, I guess, for people to say it's his best work, if you had to choose one. Or maybe it epitomizes what Woody Allen was always most known for, because obviously his movies vary in tone and genre a bit. Um, But this is like the Woody Allenist of his movies, I suppose. And I say this as a person who's only seen like 10, 11 out of his 50 movies. So it's not like I've seen everything.
0: Mm. Yeah, and would you say that you've mainly seen the stuff that stars him, or more stuff that without him in it? Because I know there's a whole section of his career where he's not the. Uh... I-
1: I've seen much more with him in it. Yeah.
0: Now you—you'd never seen this. Hmm. <laughs> and would you personally say for yourself that you think this is his best film? Well, I'll ask you. I'll ask you this one more question. I'm avoiding getting to me quite yet, so. <laughs> oh, no, it's fine. Um, would would you personally say this is your favorite of his his films that you've seen, or that's difficult because I'm
1: of two minds about it. Because obviously, I endorse what I just said, which is this is probably you know people's favorite as, at, at large. Um, uh, but you know, with his newer movies, oh my god, I don't know, I can't, I don't even, I can't even answer that question. Um, because, Mm. you know, I very much, oh oh my God, I need, I need my fake notes in front of me. Um, can't think of, uh, (laughs) what's the name of, um, was it Midnight in Paris or something like that? With Owen Wilson by Woody Allen.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I've never seen that one, but I've heard lots of good things.
1: Now see now that movie was just like wow super enjoyable didn't expect that like there's a lot of Woody Allen movies like that in the last 20 years where you you thought Woody Allen was done and then all of a sudden he pulls something out and you're just like wow that was so good and it felt so fresh from someone who's made so many movies um and so that one was like really enjoyable me personally it's hard to explain why but I love Vicky Cristina Barcelona uh, like, I just love that movie. I could just play it at any time, and I can catch it anywhere at any point in the movie, and I can just sit there and watch it and enjoy it. And I went through a phase where I loved uh, Matchpoint. And for a year, that was my favorite Woody Allen film. But I've cooled off, you know, on that. I still like it, but I'm not so blown away by it as I was the first time. Um, but Annie Hall's always been consistent, um, and it was one of those movies that when I was first seeking it out, uh, Annie Hall, I watched it. it, it you know, like when you when you're watching a quote unquote classic for the first time, something that you're you've been told is a classic. When I watched it the first time, I immediately thought, "Oh yeah, this is a classic for a reason," and I totally get why. That that was always my original experience, and anytime I pop this one in. And I feel like this one is very closely associated with Manhattan as well. Um, Like to the point that people get them mixed up in their mind. um, uh, Like which one is which. Uh, Because people like, was that Manhattan or was that Annie Hall that such and such scene happened? That's how similar they are. Um, Even though one's in black and white and one isn't. Um, But... I always think of those two as the classic Woody Allen, even though I think Annie Hall edges out Manhattan. Hmm. At some point, you're going to have to give an opinion.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I guess, I guess, I guess I'll finally jump into my. Yeah, so Woody Allen's always been someone that I've kind of avoided as a filmmaker, not because of his uh, controversy. I think I was avoiding him even before a lot of that controversy stuff was known to me. But. There was always something about his comic persona that felt like a whole bunch of comedians I don't watch their movies because they just, I find them really off putting. Someone like Kevin Hart or Adam Sandler in a lot of his films. Oh my lord. uh, Who's someone else? Oh my lord. Someone like David Spade. Oh Uh, my lord. There's a whole bunch of these comedians who, every single movie that they do, I feel like they deliver the same kind of performance as a sort of shtick that they developed as stand-up comedians. And I'm no fan of stand-up, I don't watch any stand-up at all, I find it off-putting a lot of the times. And so I've always avoided Woody Allen because I just, anytime I try to watch one of his movies I find him just grating, <laughs> so. So I'd never seen this film, um, I almost never see any of his films. I have seen Match Point, um, which I've highly enjoyed. I watched uh, Blue Jasmine when it came out, and I quite liked that as well, cause I always like Kate Blanchett. And um, what else do I know from Woody Allen? There's that terrible Casino Royale, which he's in briefly, but the only other one I can think of is um, Hannah and Her Sisters, which you guys covered on the Best Picture podcast. Yes. Which I started watching when you guys covered it, but I never finished it, because I was just like, I'm done with this movie. <laughs> And so I actually rewatched it and finished it this time around in preparation for this podcast. Hmm. So I'll probably mention that a, co- a couple times throughout this, like, comparison to this movie. But, yeah, so I went in um, just after watching Hannah and Her Sisters. It was the next day, and I was like, okay, you know, there was things about that movie that I quite liked. So I'm going to try to hold off of my kind of bias against his comic persona and see if I can enjoy this film just in its own merits. And uh, I, guess we'll, I guess we'll discuss some of that as we, as we go along. But um, do, you want, do you want me to jump in right away with things that I liked in the movie? Or do you want to kind of parse there sure. as we go?
1: I just want to react to one of the things you just said. Sure. That comparison to those actor comedians you mentioned. Whoa. Because generally <laughs> I have the exact same feeling as you on what you said about um, the David Spades and the Kevin Hart's and the rest, the Adam Sandlers of the world. I have the exact same feeling, I guess, with their work on screen, but I never in my wildest dreams would have ever lumped in uh, Woody Allen with the likes of those guys. But I see what you're saying. I get it, Um, but I just never would. And also, um, there's plenty of stand-up comedy I don't really care for. But then there is some stand-up comedy by certain comedians that I do appreciate, even though that's not really my thing. I mean, to watch that stuff exclusively. Um, And uh, I guess this works more for me, though, even though we all know what Woody Allen's shtick is or what he's most known for, the Nebbish character, but not just that. But we, we understand his voice as a comedian and how it comes through very clearly in his movies, especially like this one. Um, And that said, even though I'm not the biggest stand-up fan in general, if I had to go to one of their stand-up shows, I would definitely go to Woody Allen's stand-up show in his prime versus all those other guys you named. Uh, And even though I'm not an expert on, say, Lenny Bruce, the famous Lenny Bruce of the 60s, um, stand-up comedian stylings, I weirdly see Woody Allen as as like the 70s evolution of a Lenny Bruce style. Um, or I don't know about the evolution, but the, but the next thing to follow uh, in evolution uh, of comedy, stand-up comedy, even though I've never watched Woody Allen stand-up
0: per se, except maybe little clips. Um, and... Just because you mentioned Lenny Bruce, have you ever watched the show of Marvelous Mrs. Maisel? I've just seen like the first three or four episodes. Um, oh okay so yeah like a person playing lenny bruce plays a big big role in that show so that's only the only reason i bring it up
1: yeah yeah um and the other thing that that's going for me with woody allen and his style of comedy is i like i like the jewish aspect um because i always appreciate that in old-timey comics or newer comics uh i'm always into the jewish humor that with just the political and literary takes that Woody Allen's known for, if you follow his stuff. And some of it's just like silly wit and wordplay. But I am, I'm always down with um, semi smart wordplay. Um, you know, I've just always been a fan of that in general, and Woody Allen does it well, and if anybody else does
0: it, I'm, I'm just... I'm a sucker for that stuff. And, and would you say there's a lot of that in this this film, in terms of the wordplay? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. 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 Just... I'll, I'll, I'll freely admit, almost any scene where it's just Woody Allen just kind of droning on with his you know, just complaining and bitching about everything, I start to tune out, because I'm just like, oh literally numerous times throughout this movie i would just groan and be like oh my god is he ever gonna stop (laughs) so i mean maybe i missed some of his clever lines just from frustration for his kind of performing his kind of stand-up personality which is what i can't get past when i watch it even though i also have never seen his stand-up i just there's a certain kind of performative vibe that comedians do and i just feel them falling into this rhythm and a lot of times the rhythms I just can't stand. So it's, but
1: it's he's it's, just. But see, that's the thing. He's doing this cartoony pastiche on the stereotypical Jew persona in comedy and in film and in stories, which is the 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 stereotype that the Jewish person is is the um, forever. Forever the pessimist. And he's just doubling down on that and doing like a cartoonish, uh satirical version of that. And and I get it. And so I don't know. For some reason it doesn't bother me so much. Um when I know that's that's what he's going for.
0: Oh, that's fair. With that depressed neurotic character that he that he so often plays. Yeah, and I like I mentioned I was never a fan of his persona necessarily. so uh, when I watched Hannah and Her Sisters the first time like it it was just like the absolute stereotypical kind of Woody Allen performance in a movie Yeah. in Hannah and Her Sisters but it felt so incredibly intrusive that it frustrated me to the point that I turned the movie off because I was like why are we seeing this character he has no real connection to any other character in the movie feels like Woody Allen just was like oh I'm bored with this script it has no real focus to it let's just throw me in here to kind of kind of construct a focus for the very end.
1: Hold on. Two things about that movie. Sure. <laughs> First of all, are you pronouncing the title like Sean pronounces the title? How does he
0: say it? You're saying Hannah and her sisters? Uh, I should be saying Hannah, but I did have a couple, I have my, a couple glasses at this point, so maybe me and Sean.
1: Because Sean <laughs> kept saying Hannah and her sisters, Hannah and her sisters, and he had no idea until I pointed it out much later. And, and he did not realize that he says that every time and
0: you're saying the exact same thing um well me me and sean have a, a thing in common where we both like to uh record in our cups and we also well, speak fast so he, he
1: said it was like a chicago thing or something his chicago roots yeah. um that's why he's saying here and sisters and uh, i was like i'm wondering if you had chicago roots or something <laughs> no uh,
0: i have been to chicago though but number two do you remember you're in Chicago? You said. No, oh, I've been to Chicago once, but. <laughs> oh, okay. I
1: was like, you're in Chicago right now. It's a, a weird, amazing coincidence. <laughs> Maybe I picked it up when I was there. Um. So, also, do you remember what I said about that movie on the podcast on the Best Picture podcast? Because you were saying what relation does this character have? And it it is true that he seems attached to or outside of the major plot of that book or book movie. Um, but do you remember, though, what I said about
0: the movie? Uh, no, I, I feel like that was actually a couple of years ago at this point when you guys started that show. It, it is, I think. Um, or was. I think that was in our
1: first season. Uh, our yep,
0: first year. First season.
1: Uh, first selected year. Um, I was saying, even though you're right, the Woody Allen character is weirdly attached to that ensemble, um, I was saying, like many other Woody Allen films... He's doing a lot of the typical Woody Allen movies are uh, like the Disney movie inside out you've seen that have you seen that one? Mm-hmm. Of the Pixar movie I mean and you know how you're like inside uh, the character's head and there's all the different parts of the head and they interact with each other and debate about things and blah 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 and Hannah no, now you got me saying it Hannah and her sisters. <laughs> is textbook Woody Allen in that all the major characters represent different parts of Woody Allen's brain. And they're all interacting with each other. And all the discussions in that movie are just Woody Allen having little internal debates with himself. So even though the weird Woody Allen character is like mysteriously attached there, the Nebbish character, mm-hmm. it's still actually, it's all him. I mean it's all reflecting him all the major roles in that movie they're actually all the true Woody Allen just separated into parts just like a uh inside a out Pixar movie that already inside out yeah so so to me it, it, it's it's I don't know it's almost I don't I get those words mixed up like the id and the ego and the whatever but the the mm-hmm. Woody Allen is the but whichever one word that attached <laughs> that fits, it's that, and and so that's weirdly Woody Allen walking into his own head is what that is, and Hannah and her sisters. That's
0: interesting. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I actually, I'll just say I actually liked that movie quite a bit more than Annie Hall, but his section of it was the part that I liked the absolute least. So maybe that maybe that's why I liked it because he was in it a lot less. I get it. I get it.
1: And another thing I said about that movie, Hannah and Her Sisters, um, is that it's it's also Woody Allen doing an Igmar bergman movie, which is another thing that happens a lot. Um, because even this movie has yep. Bergman-esque influences, even though it's its own thing, even though it's it's definitely a Woody Allen film and not a Bergman film. Um, but it's you can tell... Just like, I guess, Wes Anderson um, has some love affair for movies from the late 60s to mid-70s, and then his movies are his own interpolation of that. Um, That's kind of how I see a lot of the Woody Allen dramas or rom-coms, is their interpolations of Bergman passing through Woody Allen.
0: And I'll just point out, did you see the... uh, I'm sure you saw the poster. (laughs) You better believe it. (laughs) Yeah, I was like, oh boy, I'm sure Eric's gonna mention that but
1: Yep. Yep. They were originally in the movie they're supposed to meet up to watch face to face by Igmar Bergman. And of course,
0: because Yeah, and I was gonna I was actually gonna ask if you've seen that and if there's any connection to this movie.
1: I have I not. Like, I would love to I, I wanna say it's perhaps a Bergman film that was coming out, you know, time appropriate of you know, when the movie's set and when it was made. But no, I have not seen that one yet. But uh, who knows? Maybe I'll pluck it out in the next two weeks um, just because it shows up in this movie. Um, just to see.
0: Cool. Oh, But I guess I'll quickly lay out some of the things I did like in the movie since I've been kind of just bitching all this time so far. <laughs> but um, first off, I love Diane Keaton. I just think she's super charming in everything she's in and she delivers in this movie. Um, I don't always feel like her and Woody Allen have the best chemistry necessarily but maybe I just find him like I kept wondering like why is she with him he's like the most obnoxious annoying person to be around and she doesn't even seem like she likes him most of the time but she was still charming so I could appreciate her um, but I also thought Woody Allen had a fun touch of just kind of playing with like split screen and stuff in this movie just some like an artifact of the 70s that I wish would come back no doubt Like, I love that scene when he was comparing the two dinners, and then the two, like, the mom started talking to his family. I thought that was really cool. I wish we kind of got a little bit more of that kind of thing, but, um, what else did I like? Not just the 70s aesthetic overall, like, I love all the outfits and just seeing, like, old New York. I thought all that stuff was super cool. That's probably the the stuff that I held on to the most, is just kind of living in the 70s for the movie. But but did you find the movie very funny? Is was kind of the thing I kept wondering. It, like it says this movie's a comedy, but I think I giggled like three times throughout, at the very most. So,
1: hold on, I have to, I have to react to what you just said before I can answer that question. Um, sure. I always enjoy movies, you know, that are made in a period for their period. Well, that sounds wrong, but. Um, so I definitely appreciate the late '70s ishness of this movie, and even though this movie's '77, um, and me and Sean recently did '75 in the Best Picture podcast, yeah. even though it's just only two years removed, I can God I, do I feel the difference uh, from watching all those famous movies from '75, um, especially let's let's just go with Nashville um, in particular because Nashville. Out of the seventy-five uh, nominees, nineteen seventy-five nominees, it um, it so much feels like it's nineteen seventy-five, whatever that means, in terms of style and culture, at least for America, and seventy-five Nashville still feels very rooted in the late sixties, with what was going on, but even though this movie is just seventy-seven, two years removed. I can already feel like we're going in the direction of the 80s, even though we're not there yet. It already feels like they crossed the Rubicon from leaving the 60s and getting to the 80s. Just in that two-year span, it's weird. Um, it's also weird that there's two-bit characters in this movie that are also two-bit characters in Nashville, and it's just weird that they pop up in here as well. Um, and that's um, Shelley, Shelley Long. Wait, not Shelly Long. Duvall <laughs> yes Duvall I'm sorry what's her first name Shelly Duvall I'm sorry Shelly Duvall pops in in this movie and feels wildly different than the character she plays in Nashville <laughs> and then we also see um Jeff Goldblum for a hot second in the movie who seems like he could be playing the same character that he's playing in Nashville weirdly just like having the briefest of cameos Uh, at the California Southern California party gathering Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah there's something about this even though it's 77 it it feels very modern for that time period like I said it's garnering in the 80s Um, and this movie was considered something it it was considered a trendsetter in fashion at the time when it came out Um, a lot of fashion was spawned from this movie um, and the whole Annie Hall look became a thing for some years, um, uh, for a lot of women. Um, uh, yeah. But what was the question you asked a little while ago? I think it was funny? Okay, uh, these movies, I mean, these famous Woody Allen movies, like this one and, and again, Manhattan, uh, and some of his others, um, Love and Death, the ones that, that are a bit more on the goofy comedy side of his classic movies. I pretty much find all those movies really funny the first time I watch them. I found this movie extremely funny the first time I watched it. Um, I still find it funny. Um, Some of the jokes age well for me. There's a few that do not age well. Like, they're not as funny anymore because they're so low brow, low hanging fruit, some of them. But I still chuckle. I mean,. Again, there's something about basic wit and wordplay that I'm still a sucker for, even if it's basic. Like, I don't remember how it goes, but like in this movie, when he's commenting on her black soap, and you know, like, why do you have black soap? And what are you getting ready for a menstrual show or something? Like, that is such a low IQ, like, to come up with a joke like that but I still find it funny. It's so Hmm. basic, but I find it funny and it still makes me laugh. And there's, that's the only one I could think of, but there's others like that in the movie. Um, Or like the one that uh, Sean had mentioned uh, when we were, I can't remember what what movie we were watching. Oh, it was, um...
0: what did we watch recently with Sean? Um... Uh, There's Pink Flamingos, there was uh, Deep Red. It was deep red,
1: I think. It was deep red. Uh, because of how a co- how, she, how she had the little car um, that they were riding around in. And Sean had mentioned that joke yeah. from this movie about the... Um, what did he say? Oh, gosh. Something about the... Something about... Could you park the car any further? And how about the distance to the curb? I can't remember, I can't remember the joke. It just happened on screen when I'm watching, too. Um... And, uh, I don't know, it's... They're, like, these super basic jokes, but they make me chuckle every single time. Yeah, I chuckle a lot. Um, I still do. Not as much as the first time I saw it, but... I, I laugh at most of the silly jokes. I really do.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, that could definitely change the, the enjoyment of the movie. Absolutely. Because I was sitting there, just, like, not really getting... <laughs> I was like, is, is it... I know that the Woody Allen bits when he's like going off in his little rants, I know that's supposed to be funny, but I'm like, is the movie overall supposed to be quite funny? I I was, I kept wondering.
1: So his banter that is just everywhere in this movie, for example, like, Mm -hmm. it's constant. His musings on different books and music and, like, so you obviously see the joke that he's trying to do, right? Right. And you get why it's supposed to be funny. It, is it just it's just not funny, or are you hearing him say things and you're not connecting it, or you are connecting it, it's just not funny to you?
0: Well, I'll I'll, I'll explain it like this, like you know, like Martin Lawrence and Bad Boys, how he's like, he, the joke is he's like a horrible asshole and no one would ever want to be around him, but there's something about him that's supposed to be charming and amusing. And, like, oh, he's this horrible asshole, but he knows that he's, like, in the wrong. So I'm assuming that that's what the Woody Allen joke is supposed to be, too. That he's, like, this, you know, obnoxious, like, persnickety, uh, overly critical dick. And that's supposed to be funny because... I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't no, no, no. It. I'm not talking about that, though.
1: I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about the persona of the Woody Allen Nebbish character. That's not what I mean. I'm talking about just his quips, because you could just write his quips down on paper and you could you could separate them from the character and they could just be quips on paper. And those quips on paper, most of them would get a rise out of me. So I'm saying if you were looking at all those quips on paper, so it's now divorced of the Woody Allen character or delivery. Um, would you still find those jokes funny or just like I see what you're doing there, but it's just not funny to me?
0: well that's the thing if if there are jokes there other than he's a huge asshole I, maybe I'm missing them like there's that scene when he's uh, standing in line and there's a the guy just talking about um, oh, who, was it Fellini and Modi Allen just keeps making these like just kind of asshole remarks about him and I, I'll, I don't remember any of the specific jokes that he makes because all I can see is just him being an obnoxious ass and I'm like why is Diane Keaton dating this guy
1: okay so let me tell you one little thing one little thing I thought I, I noticed that was funny in that scene that I noticed for the first time when I was rewatching it the other day. Sure. So, in that scene, he's going off because there's someone in line behind him, right? And the guy behind him is a, is a stereotypical thing in a Woody Allen film, which is he's always, Woody Allen always, in his movies, he always points out pseudo intellectuals, people who are just saying things like trying to sound smart. He always points those people out in his own works, and so that's what he's doing and he's basically saying oh great like there's a pseudo intellectual behind us giving all his fake opinions about movies and he's saying this guy doesn't really know anything about movies but he's just he's like trying to impress the girl that he's with by making it sound like he he has all these amazingly deep opinions about movies um, and Woody on's complaining about it um, to Annie Hall um and this time, I noticed for the first time that the guy who's like in front of Woody Allen in line,
2: mm-hmm.
1: there's a part where he looks exasperated because Woody Allen is going off, and I just thought that was funny. That's just like a little meta, a little meta joke in the scene. That, and oh, maybe I'm just explaining the obvious to you that Woody Allen's character is committing the same crime mm-hmm. that he's opining about, but I find humor in that. And that the guy in front of Woody Allen is at one point like shakes his head like oh like could this guy just shut up I think that's funny
0: <laughs> yeah see that I think that's what I was trying to say is I think he, like his bit is supposed to be oh I'm the funny asshole but for me with him and Martin Lawrence I just like well to me you're just an obnoxious asshole maybe that's your bit but it's just I don't find it funny I find it just off putting okay Great. but then again <laughs>
1: I wanted to 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 focus even more, which is divorce the Woody Allen character out of it. Do you not find the constant quips? Do you find none of them funny? Some of them, All the constant things about whenever he makes a joke about a Freudian thing or um, uh, maybe not in this particular movie, but he always makes references to Dostoevsky or or Jung, Jung um, or just anything about Nazis or Hitler. Or just again, like a turn of turn of phrase. If you just see those quips like on paper, forget about the Woody Allen character and his annoyingness um, and his neuroticism.
0: Do you not see those things as funny, or do you just see them and go, eh? "Yeah." Yeah, that, that's what I was trying to say. Is I feel like maybe I'm not even hearing them necessarily because I feel like a lot of them are in like extended rants. And as the rants go on, I just start to be like, oh, when is it going to end? Like, when is he going to stop talking? (laughs) So maybe I'm missing it because of that. Oh, my God.
1: See, that's one of the first things that drew me into his work, especially when I started getting into his classic work, is that in a movie like Annie Hall, you get two or three of these clips a minute uh, whenever Woody Allen's character is speaking. And see, I kind of internally snicker at on average two out of three of those and I just cannot help myself um and and that happens throughout like the runtime of most of the movie um, mm. I just I just can't I mean it's funny
0: um yeah that's definitely I, I was like I even wrote down the things that I did find funny just because I was like I feel like when I am amused it, it kind of stands out so I'm like I should quickly write that down and pause it so some of them weren't even lines like there was a scene when um Woody Allen and some chick I don't even remember her name she wears like this big necklace and they're at some sort of like I don't know some sort of big party and they both reach for the same drink at the same time from a waiter's tray she grabs it and he just awkwardly holds his hand there and then like touches his head and quickly puts his arm down and for whatever reason that made me chuckle just kind of his awkward just motion yeah Um, what else uh, there was a scene with him and Annie Hall people watching and oh, yeah. he said that one of them looked like Truman Capote that made me laugh yeah um, <laughs> see these aren't even his bits really there was only one bit of his that made me laugh and it was when he was um, just interviewing random people on the street like hey like, do you, do you guys' relationship works or work and he goes to this one couple and they both say how like they're just basically shallow and empty people and what did he say he said something that made me laugh um, he's like, oh well, thanks for thanks very much for talking to me, and just his his delivery and all of their delivery together was I, I just thought that bit worked, but but everything else, no, I didn't chuckle even slightly. I just <sighs> stared at the screen like, oh okay, oh boy. <laughs> I
1: just think so much of it is funny in different ways. Again, to me, it's it's all funny on different levels. Um, like it's just funny. Um, it's funny, you know. He has. What is now considered the iconic scene with Annie Hall um, where they're doing the whole lobster thing. And the lobsters are getting out, out of hand and, just, and she's taking pictures of him. And later you'll see those pictures like up on the wall or something in their place. Mm-hmm. And then later when he's like trying to date like a new girl, it's just the idea that he's trying to recreate the lobster situation. Oh man, I know, but it's funny and it, to <laughs> me it's funny on two levels. It's funny because it's ridiculous that you would even think that would work. Uh, And it's funny because the new girl is just confused by the whole thing and doesn't understand, like, what's the point. And normally, it's it's funny because it's absurd, because nobody would literally try to recreate a special moment they had with some before. Um, But then it's also funny because it's obviously a metaphor for... When somebody has a good relationship and they try to recreate it in someone else. See what I'm saying, though? So it's like a meta joke. Mm -hmm. And that's how a lot of Woody Allen things are to me. And see, I don't know Bad Boys as well as you do, even though I've seen it and I know what you're talking about in your references to Martin Lawrence. I don't see meta humor when I watch something like Bad Boys. I just see that you're supposed to react to the affect of the Martin Lawrence character and that's about it. But to me, the Woody Allen effect is just one part of like the main,
0: one part of the main course meal that you're receiving. Yeah, just to go off briefly on Martin Lawrence, real brief. Have you ever seen National Security? Hmm. Does that also have Will Smith in it? No, it's it's a Martin Lawrence vehicle with um. Oh, what's this guy's name? He was in Zathura? He was in uh, the War for the Planet of the Apes. Uh, I'm gonna quickly look him up.
1: I'm guessing no, though, because if there's no Will Smith, then I'm thinking of no something else. No. So I'm
0: going to say no. Not seeing National Security. Yeah, National Security. He plays the same kind of. He's just this massive asshole, and the whole joke is like he's playing a he's playing a black person who's been um, abused by a cop, but he's actually making up the abuse just so that he can be like, oh, I'm such the victim. Oh, and he does this thing where he plays the racist black person. That's kind of his gig his joke that he constantly makes through all of his movies Mm -hmm. and i i feel like that kind of stereotyping yourself for humor is a similar thing that woody allen does just less kind of ugly but i also find off-putting in the same way that i find with martin lawrence
1: again i can't disagree with that but because i again i find his humor funny on multiple levels i can easily dismiss that part of it and just look at the other parts that's fair when it comes to woody allen in general Whereas, like I said, Martin Lawrence, or uh, I feel that way about the other comedian actor you mentioned, I can't his name. Um, you
0: know, Adam Sandler, or I think I said David Spade, which, yeah, David Spade is a comedian. Complete... No, the
1: other um, black actor-comedian.
0: Oh, Kevin Hart.
1: Kevin Hart. Ugh. Even though I've seen such little of his work... He's going to come off <laughs> as racist. Um, even though I've seen such little of his work... I feel like he gets all his humor out of his affect um, Mm in his characters. And I just, yeah, I, I just can't, I just can't. But, um, but again, there's layers with the Woody Allen humor and that's what gets me through it. Um, and helps me look past his character.
0: Yeah. And I, I can't deny that Woody Allen's much more talented in the sense that he, you know, directs his movies and writes them. And I can see a good eye as a filmmaker in these movies. I mean, he's got good kind of, uh, What's, what's the word I'm looking for? I going to say placement of the actors, but that's not quite... The, blocking. He's got good blocking for humor. He does some fun camera tricks throughout. And something like Matchpoint really shows like a, a good eye as a filmmaker. Like it's a very well-made film. This one, it's a little bit more simplistic, and it's a little bit more all over the place, but... Oh, oh God, now he's talking to the camera again. What do you think of all the fourth wall breaking? It's all good.
2: I forgot this was one of
1: those movies uh, of his. I mean, with all the fourth wall breaking, but nope, it's all good. It's all good. I, look, I'd say this is a nearly flawless movie, as far as I'm concerned. Hmm. Um, it is nearly flawless. Yeah, I, this is on my list of one of those nearly perfect movies. It really is.
0: Oh wow. Yeah, what do you think about what do you think about the bit when he uh, to go on off on the fourth wall breaking when he pulled like a Family Guy and. He's in the line and he's like, oh, this guy's so obnoxious. Let me bring out Marshall McLuhan over here. Like, I was like, whoa, this totally feels like a Family Guy bit predating Family Guy.
1: Uh, it is 100% that. Uh, I'm okay with it in moderation. It would become exhausting if, if it would never stop. But mm-hmm. no, in the doses that we receive it, again, all good. All, there's a balance for it for me. Or, like, you know, I'm watching the movie on screen. Um, this is clever. When uh, they're making love under the red light. And, you know, the point is he's trying to make love to her. And she seems to just be donating her body to science, so to speak. Like, uh, letting him have his way even though she's not into it. And you see the visual of her, like, body stepping outside of her body. Mm -hmm. And that's clever, I think, to to show it that way. Or there's the other scene that happens, like, ten minutes before this when they're in the city on the rooftop mm. and they're just having a basic conversation, but you get the second
0: subtitles mm-hmm. of what they're really saying. Yeah. The scene where I had to turn off my subtitles cause I couldn't read what the subtitles underneath said.
1: <laughs> oh, it didn't
0: separate them properly for yours. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. So I had to rewind it, <laughs> but I mean, that
1: was brilliant. I love that stuff. I mean, it's the kind of thing you can only do once. Cause then you can't do that again. You know what I mean? Like in another one of your movies. Mm-hmm. Um but no oh, I
0: wouldn't be surprised if it popped up somewhere else, but yeah. maybe that's maybe that's being mean.
1: <laughs> but uh no, I so I love all that stuff. I it's super creative, it's super interesting. Also this movie God, how many rom coms is it influenced that came after it. God, it's it's probably innumerable to try to sort that out. Uh one of the biggest ones that it was definitely influenced directly was um, like five hundred days of summer were you ever a fan of that movie or did you never once never once watched it wow see I see it's the kind of movie that most people like in general but I can understand if you or someone else watched it and said oh I feel like that that, that filmmaker's just being pretentious or something. Um, like full of themselves. I mean I could I could imagine watching that movie now. When Five Hundred Days of Summer first came out like any, it felt like the Annie Hall of the moment, meaning it felt like it. Whatever year that movie came out, I don't know. It was two thousand five, whatever it was. It felt like it captured that moment in time and was like the perfect rom com of its style, um, and it's it's sort of an anti rom com as well, um, hmm. if that makes sense. Uh, it's a rom com slash anti rom com, and it captured two thousand five or whatever. In a way that I think Annie Hall captured 1977. But that being said, if you're a movie buff, then you know that 500 Days of Summer owes so much to this movie. Um, so, yeah. And then this movie, I would say, also was like, um, you know, inspired things like uh, when Harry met Sally, um, even though I'd never seen him, but um,
0: the tom hanks movies with meg ryan oh which those i have seen i've never seen when harry met sally even though i own it i've never once watched it <laughs> i've had the dvd for probably almost a decade at this point i've never put it in because i just don't watch comedy when
1: harry met sally is the late 80s vert like again it's it's the annie hall of the late 80s is what when harry met sally is 100
0: percent. the only reason i bought the dvd is because i used to have a big crush on meg ryan Thanks to... Uh, oh, I had a massive one on her in the late 80s. Yeah, thanks to Joe vs. the Volcano. Oh, and, uh, what's, I never saw what's that, that one? one. You've got mail. You've got mail as well.
1: Never saw Joe vs. <laughs> Volcano,
0: but... Oh, it's so good. I was so
1: in love with her from... Uh, first with Top Gun, and then secondly with uh, Inner Space with Martin Short. Uh, absolutely adored her for those two movies. <laughs> um, but, uh... And then when I saw, like, in the air... 2012 or something when I saw No Strings Attached with uh, What's Her Name from That 70s Show. never even heard of that one. I want to even say Aston Kutcher's in that movie. Um, but What's Her Name, the little one, the one who voices Meg on Family Guy, uh, her from That 70s oh, Show. Oh, Mila, Mila. Yeah, Mila Kulis. She's the main lead in No Strings Attached. It it was such a basic rom-com for 2012 whatever year it was uh, people at the time who are into those kind of movies were really into no strings attached that movie is a remake of Harry met Sally when Harry met Sally like and when Harry met Sally there's the male lead and the female lead and then there's the male supporting character and the female supporting character and no strings attached has those exact characters recast from modern times and the the story beats are exactly the same, um, but apparently it works because when people watch those movies for the first time, they think that's the first time it's been done, and they they like it as much as the original. I guess I guess that's how it works. Hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm right now. I'm watching the contrast, uh, the scene where he's contrasting. Um, Annie's family versus his own Jewish family. I, I never get tired of stuff like this.
0: I really don't. Yeah, I, I appreciate another... I mean, this movie's filled with little cameos, but... Actually, I don't even know if Christopher Walken was a cameo at that point. I don't think he really was anything. Really.
1: No, I don't think he was until Deer Hunter. The
0: yeah, Same with Julian Glover. He shows up and I was like, hey, he looks just like he does his uh, Lionel Luthor. Got the same hair, but... Yeah, I'm sure that wasn't a cameo. I
1: completely forgot that he was in this movie, and I was wondering if you would notice him and had any thoughts about that. Um, yeah, he aged amazingly well from this to
0: Smallville. And uh, it's funny... That's another uh, childhood crush from Smallville. I thought he was so hot when I was a kid. Interesting. <laughs> um, uh,
1: uh. But it's funny, because Christopher Walken, this is like before, right before he became famous, famous... Yet he is Mm. doing Christopher Walken. I mean, it's a weird, creepy scene. (laughs) Like, it's so... It's weirdly unsettling, like the scene with the watch in Pulp Fiction. Like, it's just Mm. why is this happening? And why is this person so weird?
0: Yeah, that was actually another funny moment. It didn't make me laugh, but I did think it was... I mean, during the scene when he's saying that in the bedroom, I was like, okay, like, what the fuck is this scene? And then I didn't really like Woody Allen's reaction at the end. But I did really appreciate the next shot when we see them driving and Woody Allen's just looking over him like, what the fuck? Like, what's going to happen? Yes. I didn't laugh, but. That's such a basic.
1: That's what I consider one of those low hanging fruit jokes. But I still think it's funny, even though it's mm-hmm. so basic. Um, like, and you just got the setup and you just got the punchline, like, just like that. Bada bing, bada boom. And also, mm-hmm. the whole thing, it's, it's funny because it's the whole trope of the creepy brother. Uh, it was done a million times in the, in the Brat Pack days, um, in the Hughes movies of the eighties, and other wannabes. Mm. Except it was always like the dorky little kid brother who was annoying. But it's so much better in this when it's like, the super creep, Christopher Walken. Um, what's her name? Diane Keaton in this movie. Um, so cute. Seeing this movie for the first time, uh, I want to say I saw it for the first time all the way through Circuit 2012. Uh, and uh, that's when it came out on uh, Blu-ray in North America for the first time. Um, she, obviously I knew her from Godfather. And it's funny that he mentions Godfather, like, almost like the first time he meets her in the movie. Um, not quite the oh. first time. Mm-hmm. I, um it's when she first steps out and meets him outside the movie theater he makes a quip about the godfather um but anyway uh what was i gonna say oh her so yeah this started me having like a little thing for her um after seeing this movie the first time and she very much reminds me of when i first started becoming a fan of taylor swift um, back around 2010-ish, something like that. Um, Taylor Swift, she had like a couple appearances on SNL back then, and she had these little roles in in some movies like Valentine's Day or something, where she had like a small oh, role. God. That's wow. a dumb movie, but still, <laughs> I forgot about that. So I was just know. starting to become a fan of Taylor Swift at that time, and when she was on SNL. I was like hey she's pretty good I mean at sketch comedy little acting like I thought man this girl's gonna probably get into movies and be like Elvis or something like be known for music and for acting uh, and when I And even though Valentine's Day is not a good movie I thought uh, Tara Swift did well and I thought yeah this, she's got it she should do more and she, I don't know why she never did I don't know what's going on um, but hey, clearly you didn't see cats I have not yet, but Diane Keaton has this affect in the movie where she reminds me so much of Taylor Swift acting at that time, just if Taylor Swift had all this, like, Brooklyn-ness all over her with the accents and everything. Um, But, yeah, she comes across as Taylor Swift with a Brooklyn accent is how I see uh, Annie Hall, or Diane Keaton's um, portrayal in this movie. Let me ask something else. Do you think about this? Um, because, again, I don't know how familiar you are with Woody Allen and his career. But you you are aware, right, that Woody Allen um, goes through his muses that he uses in his films. Yeah. And especially when you go back to the 70s and 80s in particular, you know he was pretty much involved with all his muses mm-hmm. in real life, you know, at the same time that he was working with them uh, on screen for some reason i always have to think about that in the back of my head whenever i'm watching 70s and 80s woody allen films i can never like it's just i don't know what it means but i have to just be aware of it so you were talking about like how they seem like an odd couple in the movie mm-hmm. and then i and you're like well, what is she even seeing him and, and i guess it's just a movie but i can never stop thinking about the fact that you know they're obviously hooking up in real life at the same time and then it's weird how Woody Allen will move on from her and then to the next muse and the next muse and of course I imagine that he's not hooking up with his muses anymore by the time he gets the Scarlett Johansson's of the world um <laughs> but I'm but again when we look at the 70s and 80s of Mia Farrow of course I don't know I do you think about that stuff in the back of your head um or can you just be in the movie of the moment
0: um, I certainly thought about it when I was watching this, because for whatever reason, maybe maybe because of my childhood crush on Diane Keaton, maybe I did a bunch of research on her at some point. But for whatever reason, I knew that they were together, and of course, I knew about Mia Farrow when I was watching Hannah and Her Sisters. So, so yeah, it it, it popped in my brain. Certainly, it wasn't like a something I kept thinking about, but I definitely recognized it. Yeah.
1: And again, I mean. They collaborated multiple times, so it's interesting to watch them work together in other Woody Allen films, like he and Diane Keaton, for instance. Mm-hmm. Just saying.
0: Yeah, I did notice that, actually, because I was looking up Tony Roberts, who plays... Um, oh, crap, what was his name in this? It's such a, it's such a bland nothing name, I should remember it. Um, was it Bob? Rob? Do you remember? <laughs> Max? Tony Roberts. Uh, it's maybe it's Max I, I don't uh-huh. remember no it's Rob yeah it's like his only friend in this yes and for whatever reason even though I've only seen this guy in two other movies when he showed up on screen I was like hey my buddy like I love this guy he's great uh, and then I looked up and I was like oh wait I've only seen him in two movies why do I love this guy
1: <laughs> I don't even know so. what I know him from even though he, he has such a familiar look but it's also because he's doing the whole 70s man perm which was a thing um mm-hmm
0: yeah, it's, I, I noticed that him and Woody Allen did another movie with Diane Keaton. Uh, like a Bogart movie? I think it was called... Um, oh, it had some stupid name. I think it was Played Against Sam. Yeah, and that's when I was like, oh, I, I guess him and Diane Keaton were even doing movies that he didn't direct. Uh, they were still doing together, so that's interesting. Oh, yeah. Definitely. But... But yes there's, there's another element that I liked I liked any time he was on screen even though I thought he also had a weird dynamic but I thought it kind of worked Cause he's like such the straight man it's like why has he been friends with this neurotic weirdo mm-hmm. but he, he seemed to ground him for whatever reason so and what about um, like Paul Simon and his character oh man <laughs> what yeah, at a certain point it just started to feel like one of these cameos is going to end and what are the what's the point of some of them and then I kind of realized, like, oh wait, some of these aren't cameos; some of these are just jobs. Like Shelley Duvall, I don't think was a cameo; I think that was just a gig for her.
1: <laughs> um, that's hard to say because I think, because uh, obviously, I wasn't, um, what's the word? Um, what's the word? I wasn't sentient in the '70s, um. So I, how do I know? But I would imagine the '70s; she was just. Sort of like Jessica Alba when she was first becoming popular, which is... There's this super pretty girl... Or maybe, like, a, a, What's her name? Um, Sarah Jessica Parker? No. <laughs> no. I'm um, sorry, no. I feel like they look similar. No. I mean, <laughs> no. I was going to say, uh... What's her name from Transformers? Um, well, Megan Fox. Megan Fox. I think... I mean, she's not Megan Fox, obviously, but I mean, before Megan Fox was famous, she's just like this super pretty girl who could just show up in something, uh, and I kind of oh. feel like that's what that's what Shelley Duvall was
0: until The Shining. I would never think of Shelley Duvall as a super pretty girl, but my main exposure as a kid was Popeye, so maybe that defined her poorly for me. Right. right.
1: Watch Nashville. She's she's supposed to be just the the young
0: hot tart like in Nashville. Oh, interesting. Oh, but Carol Kane also had a little... I was like, oh, is this a cameo for Carol Kane? And I'm like, wait, why would, why would this be a cameo? She'd done like only a couple things before this. So,
1: But I do like the quote-unquote quote unquote, cameos much better in this than the cameos in, uh, in Nashville, again, if you watch that movie.
0: Is that a comedy as well? I, I always thought that was a drama.
1: It's a satire.
0: Hmm. Oh, okay,
1: it is a drama or melodrama, but it's a satire. Um, the whole thing is a metaphor for 1975 America. The whole movie, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it plays as a straightforward slice of life type of movie, but it's really commenting on America and politics of the 70s. Yeah,
0: yeah, I might check it out. I do like I do prefer satires. I actually prefer just straight parodies as well. Over romantic comedies, or... it's
1: it's a huge cast uh, with they all have like separate intertwining storylines. Um, it's very it's very much. I said when when me and Sean reviewed it, I could see how Richard Linklater borrowed a lot from the style of what's it, Robert Altman, uh, I think the director of Nashville.
0: Well, oh, I've got no clue. Yeah, I don't know anything about that movie. Yeah. Um, and he, and
1: if it's Robert Altman, he's known for commenting on, you know, on politics of the day. Uh, but, again, it, through satire, like, indirectly. Um, and, like, it's, it's a very large casted film. And with, like, weird... Um, uh, what's the term? Um, almost, like, archetypal or... or I don't know uh, like almost like these caricatures a lot of the characters are like caricatures of different types of people in the 70s um but the different characters um they're sort of like stand-ins for um like large political swaths of the united states in the mid-70s i don't know if you've ever heard the theory of like casablanca that all the main characters represent different political viewpoints at the start of World War Two. Um, oh, no, no, I never heard that. Oh yes, That's interesting. oh yes. Uh, the like Rick represents the United States, like detached and unwilling to get involved in World War Two, not wanting to choose a side, wanting to stay out of it. Um, and then there's the French character who represents France and the German character, etc. Yeah, so anyway, that's a theory on Casablanca. That's kind of how Nashville is. Different characters represent people coming from different parts of America uh, politically
0: and geographically.
2: Oh, yeah.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Um, Oh, yeah. Oh, but uh, just because you mentioned Slacker, I actually put this in my notes here. I wrote, it's funny that throughout this movie I kept thinking of Slacker and then as I wrote this note, suddenly the whole Kennedy assassination thing comes up. Oh, in what? Because I I, I, I I went down to write my notes. And I'm like, I keep thinking of Slacker during this, and then suddenly the scene with Carol Kane and him when he's oh,
1: oh right.
0: I was like, oh, I was gonna funny.
1: say that's also ironic because that has a major connection to Nashville the movie. Slacker? No. Uh. Well.
0: Oh, Kennedy. Yeah. 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 Mm. yeah. Oh. Okay. Interesting. Uh, but yeah, Carol Kane. I mean, she was. Fucking hot back in the day. This in Dog Day Afternoon. Like, goddamn, she was a looker. And then she, uh, well, I, I won't say that, but, but I, I, I always liked her in uh, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. But did did you notice her? I don't know if you watched that show or anything. Oh, I
1: 100 percent noticed her in this. I forget she's in Dog Day Afternoon. Um, I'm looking up an image of her from that movie to remind myself, like. But no, but in this movie, Annie Hall, I 100% recognize her right away. And yeah, it's pretty amazing that that she's that same person uh, from Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt.
0: Yeah, she was fine. Man, oh man, she was attractive. Age is a hell of a thing. <laughs> That's yeah. a little mean, but... <laughs> but she's still a great comedic actor. I still really liked her in that show, so... It's funny, you wouldn't think I like that show because I'm so not with comedies, but... I was actually going to mention this because I was thinking, like, are there any other comedic actors or any, uh, like, stand-up actors who direct their own movies that I find funny? And the only one I could think of was Mel Brooks. Mm. And I feel like the only reason I enjoy Mel Brooks' movies is because there's such an absurdist element to them, and a lot of them are just straight parodies. Mm -hmm. And for whatever reason, I can get behind those kind of comedies. I don't know what it is, but... But this kind of...
1: That's interesting because... I, while I do like many of the Mel Brooks films, the Woody Allen stuff is just better to me. Uh, on, on, on a humor <laughs> level. On, on a humor, there's there's more thought required. Um, but, I, I mean, I enjoy the Mel Brooks stuff for sure, certainly. Um, and then also, the more you watch more Bergman films, I wonder if you'll see the connections as, as, as broadly as I do. Um... You know, it's just, like, you know, we've talked about this before, but, you know, all those guys, like Nolan or Spielberg, um, even Lucas, perhaps, you know, they all worship Kubrick as a filmmaker, and then, mm-hmm. even though they all have their own unique styles as directors, it's it's their interpretation of, of whatever they took away from Kubrick, um, and... When you watch more Bergman and you watch more Alan, you can just so see that, that he worshipped um, Bergman the way those guys worship uh, Kubrick, and you see how much of Alan's work is like his interpretation on doing um, a Bergman movie, because it's the same thing, um, Bergman always has a bunch of characters who sit around and have a lot of conversations about life and philosophy. And the Bergman characters always talk about the same things. Like, the young ones are young and and look at things from a young person's point of view. Um, the older ones are starting to always think about death and, and dealing with death or deterioration in life due to age. There's always political discussions uh, that have to do with religion or being anti-religious. Um do you believe in god or don't you uh talking about dreams um those those are all bergman things and and woody allen is in a lot of his famous movies he's doing the exact same thing he's commenting on all those same subjects he's just doing it through a woody allen lens And, and yeah so i don't know curious if you'll notice that more as you watch more of both of their works
0: Yeah, I certainly wasn't thinking about Bergman besides that poster that we saw, but, yeah, again, my experience is extremely limited, so.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Woody Allen is just doing, he just takes the Bergman model and just injects all his humor all over the place in the screenplays. Hmm. Whereas Bergman obviously doesn't usually come out with one-liners like that. His is more like a dark internal wit um, that's injected in a lot of his movies. But it's, yes, subversive and below the surface. Yeah, I was wondering if any of this breaking the fourth wall and family guy business in this movie, because you have a unique um, definition of surrealism, does any of this count as surreal uh, according to your definition? I wasn't sure.
0: Yeah, I guess I'll just briefly talk about breaking the fourth wall. I always feel like it damages the narrative because then the whole movie's framed by it's just a story that this person's telling. It's not really a real story necessarily. You can never trust what you're seeing on screen because it's all this person.
1: Now, do you just say that as it pertains to Woody Allen or do you mean in any movie where the fourth wall is broken?
0: Any movie. Like I watched um, Enola Holmes. Did you ever watch that on Netflix? Yes, I
1: did. Yes, I did.
0: The whole time I kept thinking, oh, this this is like a storybook mystery. It's not a real movie anymore. It's just Enola telling us her little fantasy. I was going to say. And I just I, I can't escape that.
1: <laughs> it is Isn't that kind of what ruins... I, I haven't seen it in so many decades, but isn't the usual suspects kind of like that? Does it break the fourth wall? No, 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 no. What I'm saying is when you watch that movie for the first time, you're completely engaged and you're like trying to sort it out and you're paying attention and you're looking for clues and details and then when you okay spoiler alert for those who have never seen Usual Suspects <laughs> but the very end when you realize that um what's his name was making it up the whole time and then doesn't it kind of cheapen the whole experience in, in retrospect when you go oh shit why was I even paying attention
0: because all that was fake
1: like you know what I mean
0: so just... Yeah, you know, I used to love that movie, but I've never returned to it in my adult years. I wonder if that's why. Like, I even bought the Blu-ray, and I don't think I ever watched it. And I loved it at
1: the time. I saw when it came out on DVD or or VHS, and I remember loving it. And for some reason, never—I don't know why—I haven't revisited it yet.
0: Yeah, I kind of wonder if maybe you're maybe that's maybe that's the reason. Yeah, you're worried maybe I'm worried going back to it that it'll just feel kind of cheap and like it's not a real movie in a way because <laughs> yeah I mean so much of it is just constructed around that reveal mm-hmm. so and it's, it almost
1: feels like oh, I've been wasting my time like yeah. trying to pay any attention to all these details
0: yeah yeah and, and I don't know somehow it works in Deadpool comics like there's something about him being so crazy it's like maybe it's not really breaking the fourth wall he's just insane so, for whatever reason, that that works, but almost every other every other instance, I can't take it. Oh, fuck. So, I, I just gotta point this out. It just popped up on screen. So, you know, there's that scene where Woody Allen, he's, like, applying for a job, and there's this... I think he's applying to be a writer for a comic. And the comic, like, gives kind of his, uh, his act, and it's like, oh, this is the kind of thing I do, this is the performance I put on. Yes. And the whole time Woody Allen's, like getting annoyed like oh this guy's pathetic and terrible yes but what's kind of funny is when he started doing the act i was like oh my god this guy feels just like woody allen like this is his it's just like a more exaggerated version of his stick and then woody allen starts complaining about it and i was just like oh oh no like is he lacking so much self-awareness he doesn't realize that he's doing a similar thing
1: (laughs) again (laughs) that's the joke that is the self-aware joke
0: well, I so he's seeing his own his own comedic personas <laughs> pathetic and terrible.
1: That's exactly what he was doing with the scene in line that I was just talking about earlier. Oh, man. That his on screen persona is complaining about the person behind him, but then the guy in front of him is also having the same complaint in the scene. But it's a self. It's by design, and that's part of the joke.
0: But both are. Oh, they're super obnoxious. <laughs> I know,
1: but Woody Allen knows that you know what's going on. Like, that's part of... To me, that's part of the genius. He knows that you know that he knows that you know.
2: Well,
0: that's that that's nice at least, but I mean...
1: <laughs> that's nice at I, least.
0: I don't... But people actually go see comedians like that guy, I mean... You're right! I remember there was that one, that one Bond film... Uh, Diamonds Are Forever with Shady Tree oh, the comedian. God, that is oh, uh, take my wife, please! Uh, I was like, oh my god, people actually watch this stuff and laugh.
1: I know, <laughs> but I think that's what he's saying. I think it's all that he is. On the one hand, he is commenting on that such a shallow version of humor, uh, that sticky, just reading the dialogue that your writers wrote you and mm-hmm. on the, on the one hand he's saying oh my god i'm i'm so much more than that because i write my own jokes and i do my own material and i'm so much smarter and more intellectual whereas the the inner meta joke is that you could just look at him doing his shtick and you could have the same feeling and and he knows that you know that and that's the thing he, he is self aware he is not actually the nebbish character that he plays in most of his movies i mean of course a lot of it's rooted in him just like how george costanza is rooted in a real person and and seinfeld is obviously seinfeld and and kramer is rooted in a real person who existed um and so yes there is some truth to the nebish character to the real woody allen but it's not literally woody allen and Mm-hmm. I think that's been one of the issues he's dealt with like his whole career is people can't separate <laughs> the character from like the actual person even though
2: a lot of it is him
0: oh I'm sure yeah and I was also gonna gonna point out something that another uh, there's actually another comedian director that I quite like although it's not quite the same because he, he was doing vaudeville which is not quite the same as stand-up but
1: <laughs> no but it's not.
0: <laughs> but when I was watching this, I kept thinking of Charlie Chaplin. Mm-hmm. And Chaplin would make his own. Like he also had a very specific persona and very specific bit that he would do. But for whatever reason, I found his tramp super charming, and I I loved watching those movies. But whatever Woody Allen does here, I just I don't see the same charm or appeal at all. So, but I, but I kept thinking would try Chaplin. So,
1: and I also like uh, towards the end of the movie where Woody Allen does the whole Hamlet play within a play thing, where now he's taking his real life experience and making it into like his screenplay or whatever. And, you know, and they're running through it with those two actors.
0: Mm. hmm What's making me think of uh King Kong
1: 2005. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It makes me think of many, many things actually, but, um, but it's funny because you have that guy who he's casting to be his stand in, um, and they're going through the lines. And it's funny to me because that's how I interpret all the stand-ins that Woody Allen starts having for himself in his later movies. Um, and all the guys that he cast to play him in his own movies. And those guys always come, like, uh, yeah, it happens to be Owen Wilson in, in Midnight in Paris but it's um, he uh, in uh, from Rome with Love or whatever it's called. Uh, he uses what's his name from social network to be his stand in and it's just always funny to me because it's so obvious that that whoever it is is supposed to be the um, Woody Allen stand in and it's so transparent yet I still find it amusing and I just thought it was Mm. funny just getting those vibes just from that little scene where it's obviously they just cast this random Jewish guy young Jewish actor to play the, um, the young Woody Allen nebbish um, it's funny. I don't know why it's funny. I just it's funny. But, um...
0: Hey, that's... I think that's humor. I mean, I even wrote my notes. Is there a science to break down what's funny? And I think it just comes down to the, the person. Whatever tickles your funny bone. I mean, fair enough. <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot of people who watch Charlie Chaplin and wouldn't get anything out of it at all, but I find those super funny. Super endearing. Oh, man.
1: I'm at the scene where they're at the, the California... The Hollywood party, and... And there's some hot 1970s
0: chicks in the... In the white shirt?
1: Uh, yeah, she's one. Uh, sure. There's some random men, though, too, that look like... Um, I don't know how to describe it. I, again, I, I can see them... These, these random bachelors in, in this scene, uh, especially a lot of the older men, I can see them transitioning into the 80s version of who they are. <laughs> Because, like like I said, this is a transitionary period of the style going from the 70s to the 80s. and I can already see these guys transforming into the 1980s version. Um, uh, I was going to say something else. Oh, yeah, yeah. Again, I like seeing... See, okay. This rom-com, if you will, is exploring the same types of things that everyone's always experienced if you've ever been involved in relationships in the past, especially when you're young. Or especially during your pre-married days and i just like seeing it interpreted through his lens this whole um the whole jealous guy thing that he's doing um Mm -hmm. where and i get it i mean many people will get it or would be able to relate whereas like annie hall was this bright-eyed bushy-tailed innocent young girl he discovered her so to speak when he took interest in her he introduced her to quote unquote culture and you know he introduced her to to deeper film appreciation and literature appreciation and philosophy appreciation um and he just he's in love with her and he just wants her to himself and it just tells all this time that once that girl grows up whether it's metaphorically or literally she wants to now spread her wings a bit more and meet other people and find other things interesting and then the guy who quote unquote discovers her doesn't want to give her up and it's tells all this time and it's just interesting for me just to see woody allen's interpretation of that in film and him being the smothering uh um reluctant like like selfish person that he is um all you can think about is what he wants and she belongs to him and he doesn't want anyone else to have her and because you know Woody Allen so much of his stuff is so semi-autobiographical then you know he's just interpreting he's putting on screen things that he dealt with which again is exactly what Bergman does Bergman is constantly airing out his own personal issues through his scripts and screenplays and movies which Alan is doing the same exact thing.
0: Yeah, I was gonna say he did that same trope in uh, Hannah and Her Sisters. Yep. With uh, I can't remember the sister's name anymore, but
1: <laughs> and if and when we watch Manhattan, you'll see how much of that influenced Scott Pilgrim.
0: <laughs> oh, that's that's interesting. Correctly. Oh, but do uh, since you mentioned Scott Pilgrim, have you seen Last Night in Soho yet? No,
1: but I really, really want to.
0: Yeah, I just saw that one last night, so I'll save my uh, save my comments, but...
1: <laughs> Please do save them, but yeah, no, no, I've, I really want to watch that. I'm going to watch it soon. Um, heck yeah, heck yeah. I have such a thing just like everybody else does for uh, Anya.
0: Yeah, I just saw young Jeff Goldblum on the screen. Yeah. God damn, he was fire back in the day. True, sex on a stick.
1: I'm wondering... <laughs> was he like in real life in the 70s was he that young interesting guy like at hollywood parties i mean like in real life because again he has this huge cameo throughout nashville but who is he he's nobody but also if you just saw jeff goldblum randomly in the 70s you would be like who is that guy and what is he is he Native American? Is he Hispanic? Is he Middle Eastern? Is he Indian? Is he, is he a Greek
0: god? Dr. Uh, <laughs> Earth.
1: <laughs> and then, of course, like I've watched a little bit of his short-lived um, pseudo-documentary show uh, on Disney+. Um, and, you know, the way he comes across, he just comes across as a curious person. Well, actually, the real-life Jeff, Jeff Goldblum... Is just like the perfect kind of character to inhabit, like a, a Woody Allen universe, um, because he's just the kind of person who is a little bit interested in everything. I mean, in real life, uh, and can just kind of talk and theorize about anything. And, and he is like a Woody Allen character in of himself.
0: Yeah, I could I could see that. You're a Wes Anderson character as well. He fits so perfectly in that uh, that universe.
1: <laughs> yes, you are absolutely right about that. Yes, you
0: are. Yeah, have you ever seen uh, buckaroo Bonsai* across the eighth dimension? I've
1: only seen pieces of it. I've never watched it
0: entirely. Oh, I love him in that. Absolutely love him in that. But but anyway, yes. Yeah, so what, what else we got here? Uh, I feel like I've gone through basically all my notes. We've gone through most
1: of it, but it's just to me, it's the beginning of the adventure. And like I said, it's a it's a yardstick. It's a unit of measure. So that every other Woody Allen movie we eventually watch, or you eventually
0: watch, you can always just kind of go, better than any
1: Hall, or not.
2: Um,
0: wow. Well, I definitely... This is actually probably the one I like the least out of all the ones I've seen. Um, at least the ones he's directed, because I definitely like this more than Casino Royale, that piece of crap.
1: <laughs> that's <laughs> an incredibly um, contrarian opinion to have. Incredibly contrarian
0: yeah i like match point much more than this um even hannah and her sisters i think has a much more interesting story and better character dynamics
1: i'll say one more thing or at least one more thing um, yeah i've got one more thing too when we see the southern california scenes even though i get it the point and everything because it's it's a great visual contrast to new york city and we all understand why because uh, it's been done a million times before um And thought about a million times before. And as much as. Southern California. Appears a lot nicer back then. uh, I don't know. I just don't think it seems nice anymore. In current modern times. But. um, That being said. Like when they. There's some little scenes where they just show random scenery. Of Hollywood and Beverly Hills. Like real quick. Uh, And you know it's obviously 1977 and I know it's not real because it's manufactured but the way Southern California is portrayed in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as like the late 60s and and the last shining moments of how Hollywood looked back then God, it already feels like it's dying or it's died (laughs) by 1977 Oh yeah god it just looks That's like fair. what happened
0: yeah all the glory is gone and now it's just like a shithole filled with dumb people hollow people
1: but it's like it's it's such it's so deteriorated from 1969 to 77 and like i said in new york's even worse because <laughs> i mean how it aged over time mm-hmm. because if you watch um urban cowboy not urban cowboy wait the one with john Boyd. Is that Urban Cowboy? No, it's not.
0: Yeah, he, yeah, he's in that one.
1: No, wait. Urban Cowboy is John Travolta.
0: Uh, I thought no, that's John Voight. It's John Voight and um, oh shit, what's his name? Um,
1: Hoffman. Wait.
0: Yeah, that's it. That's that's it. Yeah, Voight's. Uh, all right. All right, all right, all right, sorry, uh, Travolta's not in that one.
1: What's the Travolta Cowboy one then? Oh, it is. <laughs> oh, oh no, my what, God. you know okay. what? You know, I'm getting John Voight's Midnight yeah. Cowboy. <laughs> John Travolta is Urban Cowboy. Okay, Thank Midnight you. Cowboy yes, right. is the one I'm speaking of, though.
0: Wow, I forgot about Urban Cowboy. So if you go
1: back and watch Midnight Cowboy, 1969, it is one of the last movies, chronologically speaking, to show New York City Manhattan as bright and bustling and nice. Even though I don't even think it still look that good by the time Midnight Cowboy came out or was produced. But the way it's shot, it looks. I think it's the last time New York looks like the shiny New York of the, like the nineteen fifties, because you watch all the mm-hmm. other New York movies, and like French Connection just comes like a couple years later, and New York has gone from pretty to just shit, like like god so fast. And New York was pretty much shitty looking from that point on until until we get like to the two thousands.
0: Yeah, Giuliani. Yeah, whenever I think of New York in that period, I think of Maniac, that ugly, ugly uh, 80s slasher, if you ever seen that.
2: <laughs> I have not,
1: but...
0: Oof. Oh, but it is funny that you mentioned, because I was going to... There was something about this movie, um, the uh, Woody Allen character coming to L.A., that kept making me think of the TV show You. Have you watched that on Netflix? No, I've heard of it, but... Yeah, the first season takes place in New York. And then the second season, the lead character kind of flees to L.A. And he has the same kind of just complete negative, like, everyone's just shallow crap here. And I think it's a similar kind of viewpoint. I, I thought that was funny.
1: And I get it. I mean, whenever it's done in movie and films, everyone understands the compare and contrast of New York and L.A. But for me, man, give me middle America any day. I'd much rather be in a city in middle America than on the the, the main coastal. Oh my God! I uh, neither is appealing to me in real life, to be honest. Like living in New York City or Los Angeles, I loathe them both for different reasons.
0: Yeah, I I just New York seems too busy and L.A. seems too shitty, <laughs> filled with sad people and yeah, it just sounds terrible. B.C. is the the place to live for me, but. But anyway, there was there was one more thing I wanted to mention. Um, so watching this, a little bit of Blue Jasmine, and Hannah and her sisters all in very close succession, I noticed something about Woody Allen. I don't know if it's consistent across all of his films, but it's definitely all three of these. He has a very elliptical kind of sense of time, and he jumps around from present to past, just all over the place. It's a little hard to... Not necessarily keep track like i always know where i am but it just feels a little all over the place like it's not properly organized do you feel that with his films at all or maybe that's just me
1: um it's very apparent in this movie i had forgotten that it plays that much of a role in the other two movies and like i wouldn't have remembered that unless he said it um i think it is interesting though and i'd have to pay attention more when I watch some of his other movies, to see how linear or, or non-linear they are. But I do like it in this movie in particular. And I think it, it's a nice gimmick, how it's all over the place chronologically. Um, and again, if you watch five days, 500 Days of Summer, you will see how they took that concept and ran with it big time. Because hmm. that's a big part of that movie, is the non-chronologicalness of it. I think it's interesting, though, especially for a rom-com, to juxtapose the good times and the bad times. I think I think that works really well for a rom-com type of story.
0: Yeah, that's fair. I, my only thing would be sometimes I was a little bit like I don't fully know where I'm at in terms of the relationship because I feel like I'm jumping to different parts of it so mm-hmm. much that I'm like, uh, where am I at? Where am I at right now? But.
1: but also, Annie Hall is very much one of those movies for me that, again, I re-watch it. It's it's the opposite of one and done of those types of movies for me. It's a movie that I'll watch, I gotta watch it again, and I'll watch it again. So then, I can't imagine what it's like just to watch it once and be confused about it. Um, I can only imagine just uh, seeing it over and over again to so where you just... You just know because you've seen it so
0: many times. Um, hmm. Exactly what's going on. Well, that's that's fair. But I guess are we have we approached the final thoughts section here? I don't know if I. That's all my notes.
1: Yeah, I think so. Um, everybody, I think, already knows what I would rate this movie.
0: Uh, just quickly before you give that, did you see Sigourney Weaver in this? Because that was the one thing I knew about this movie coming in, that Sigourney Weaver was in this. I think I missed and it. And I didn't see her.
1: And I don't think <laughs> I knew it. I missed it, and I don't know, would it have been during the Southern California party, or would it have been in something in New York? I have no idea.
0: Uh, I'm not sure either, I just, for whatever reason, I knew that she, this was like one of the first things she did. So, I kept an eye out for it. But... i Google it. Mm. i have to Google it now. Um... I see an image, but you can't even see her face. It's like walking into the movie theater. I think she's shaking Diane Keaton's hand, but you don't see her face. Oh, is it like the scene when he met up for a double date? Yeah, it looks like that's what it is. Hmm. I guess guess that's why I didn't see her, because you couldn't even see her face in the shot. Oh, it's the
1: girl he was dating? She was one of his random girlfriends. Is that who she's playing? No, because this... Oh, yeah, yeah, he meets up with Diane Keaton, but she's dating a different guy... And he's dating a different girl. And in the movie, it's really quick. And it's a long shot. So you can't even identify who the people are. (laughs) I remember the scene in the movie. Um, Yeah, she just plays like a nondescript person. He's dating for a hot second. So, I think you know what I'd rate this, right?
0: Yeah, what what will we rate it out of... um... Oh, crap, I had something in mind. now, I just lost it. Oh, out of a carton of eggs. For the final speech, there. <laughs> How many eggs out of uh, out of five? It's five. It's five. It has to be five. It has to.
1: Obviously, I said earlier, it's it's practically a perfect movie. It's not perfect, uh, but it's practically perfect for me uh, in every sense. Um, Corner Rotten Tomatoes critics scored ninety six percent. Um, audience score 92 Uh, the little blurb says filled with poignant performances and devastating humor Annie Hall (laughs) represents a quantum leap for Woody Allen and remains an American classic I I agree with that devastating humor I I, I don't know about quantum leap I mean it's definitely a leap quantum that's a little bit uh um, hyperbolic but um but definitely it is better than his preceding movies even though some of those are good uh, in a way um, yeah one last thing I just learned well you'll have to take the word of this short YouTube fan documentary I just watched um, on this movie that supposedly the original design of this movie was that, you know, Woody Allen meets this Annie Hall character, and yes, they do have a romance, but that was supposed to be window dressing for the main plot of the movie, which was that supposedly they were gonna stumble across and have to solve a murder. And all this relationship stuff was gonna be the window dressing. Um and Supposedly, uh, when they were shooting this movie, they had two hours and thirty minutes of footage, like a cut of 2 hours and thirty minutes of just random relationship interactions um, between uh, uh, what's his name, Alfie, and Annie. And then, yeah, Alfie. Yeah, and then, uh, and then, what And then they decided. You know what? like let's just scrap the whole murder idea and let's just go with this and let's just take these random scenes because there is no there's not necessarily a through line even though there kind of is the way it's crafted but there's not really a particular plot it is just these mm-hmm. different scenes and yeah, they just pared it down to 90 minutes and it works god I would be kind of interested to see like the 2 hour 30 minute cut just to see what that would be like uh, but uh but yeah there it is, Annie Hall, and it is considered an American classic. I, I would say that's accurate.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't see it. My rating's a two. Um, <laughs> I appreciated the setting. I appreciated seeing another young Diane Keaton performance. I always just appreciate that chick. Um, this is gonna sound super random, but whenever I think of Diane Keaton, I think of Baby Boom because I just watched that movie of Fuck Ten as a kid. Did you ever see that stupid movie, no, Babe? <laughs> no, So So, yeah, for whatever reason, I've got a strong affection for her from that, so... And, of course, The Godfather, and...
1: I also feel like this is one of those rare times where somehow your youth is factoring in a negative way. Uh, your relative youth is factoring in a negative way on your opinion on this movie. Because, from my perspective, even though, again, I wasn't sentient in the 70s. Um, But that being said, I imagine that when this movie came out, for the rom-com or drama genre, I imagine that this movie had the impact to those genres that Pulp Fiction had for whatever genre it fits into. Um, (laughs) I honestly do. And and you know what the cultural... Impact and significance of Pulp Fiction was, and I think that's exactly what Annie Hall was in '77. And so, I mean, I'm not besmirching your opinion. Your, your opinion is your opinion, obviously.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to think of another big comedy of this era that defines a generation that I, because I mean, I I just don't watch comedies generally. I don't like them most of the time. I mean, so.
1: again, there's other comedies of the '70s. But this was like, whoa! This is new. This is, this is the new wave. This is going to inspire a bunch of copycats. Like this is taking something familiar and putting a twist on it, like, like what Pulp Fiction did. Um, uh, like this is like this director. Who's this guy? Like you know, I mean, yeah, Woody Allen had some stuff before this. We all know that. But now it's like, whoa! No, this guy just went from being like a kind of funny movie maker making more Adam Sandler-esque type stuff before this, and now it's like, oh, we gotta take this guy serious, because he's like a genius or something.
0: Um, yeah, even even in by the time he was doing that fucking terrible Bond film in 67, he'd already had his stick established that he was basically doing, like, his version of James Bond. Like, it was that much of in the culture. So, yeah, I, I mean, for me, this movie just kind of feels formless without any real momentum to it. Like It just kind of goes along, it stops for kind of comedy breaks, we do little sketches here or there, and none of it really ever came to much for me.
1: But part of the point of me comparing this to Pulp Fiction is this would be like if you and I are doing a, a podcast on Pulp Fiction and you're just like, yeah I guess the movie's, it was pretty good Pulp Fiction. There's some parts I liked, but I wasn't really you know, buying it, or this or that, or, um, I didn't like how there was, like, three separate stories, and I would get lost, like, which story are we in, and how is this story gonna connect to the first story, but then it doesn't,
0: but I'm just saying, like, no, 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 Pulp Fiction's got a great script, great performances, stand-up performances all around, amazing soundtrack, um,
1: no, but that's Pulp Fiction, though, right?
0: Yeah, this one. I mean, there's not really. I mean, the performances, unless you love Woody Allen. I mean, there's not really much there.
1: No, but what I'm saying, no no no, 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 I don't think it's just loving Woody Allen. I think people who are just general movie lovers, movie historians, like the way I was just making that dull take on pulp fiction. I think that's how that's how they would interpret your take on on Annie Hall. I think. Like, oh man, this guy just missed the. Yeah, hey, I'm
2: sure.
0: I'm sure those same people will be like, "You don't see the majesty of the wedding singer."
2: <laughs> I don't. I don't. I don't think that. <laughs> I
0: don't think that. It's all. It's all in the same bucket for me. I just. Yeah. I just don't really get a lot of romantic comedies or slice of life comedies. Like I, I prefer absurdist comedy, like something like Airplane.
1: Well, like I always say, like I don't. Like horror is not my thing but the horror movies I like, it's just because they're just good movies that happen to be horror. Um, and that's how I feel about like rom-coms, even though I do, I do watch a lot of just regular quote unquote rom-coms sometimes, not all the time, but rom-coms not like my thing or anything, but mm-hmm. when there's one that comes along that I think is good, it's like the horror thing. I, I, I just think it's good. Cause it's a good movie. Um, and that's how I am, especially with just straight comedies, quote-unquote. Because I do not like comedies in general, except for the ones that just happen to be good movies. But those are usually...
0: Yeah, I was actually... I was trying to think of any romantic comedies that I can really call standouts. I mean, I, I quite enjoy Joe Versus the Volcano, but that's that's a little bit different. Um, there's a great Chaplin film called City Lights, which is kind of a romantic comedy, but... Well, I forget, I really can't think of many others. What that do they I like.
1: call? There's got to be a name for that genre of like all the British comedies, um, the ones from the early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s. But
0: oh, like Love Actually or those kind of flicks,
1: like Love Actually and Notting Hill and uh, no. uh, About a Boy. But um,
0: what, no. whatever that
1: genre is called. Of, British rom-coms of that era. I have always considered uh, *Love Actually* and *And About a Boy* as being standouts of, of that of that groove.
0: Oh wow! No, not 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 for me. I mean, they're, they're fine. They're fine movies, but no, I don't really get much out of them.
1: <laughs> I always thought *Love Actually* was like the epitome of that kind of movie.
0: I was gonna say I used to date a girl who loved *Love Actually*, and every Christmas she'd want to watch, and I'd be like, "Really? That?" Movie? Oh, okay. I mean, I like Bill Nye. Oh,
1: uh, I always considered Love Actually, like, one of my Christmas standards. Um, but, but it's screwed up because you can't... because of the boob scene. Like, you can't just, like, show this at family gatherings every year because of the boob scene.
2: Um...
1: <laughs> yeah, I've always... Man, those, these are my Hollywood... My Hollywood? My holiday movies. Um christmas story forrest gump love actually those are some of my holiday standards
0: i don't like a single one of those movies that's funny
2: oh
1: my gosh <laughs> oh my yeah. gosh i think forrest gump is like my thanksgiving movie or something um and love actually is my christmas movie
0: oh but just to uh end this quickly uh, thanks everyone for listening um hope you enjoyed this episode Thanks again, Eric, for coming on here. And I enjoyed our discussion, even if I didn't enjoy the movie. And uh, we'll catch you guys on the next one. Peace.